0: GP surgery, um, I guess it was about two weeks ago now, just to uh, have some blood work done. And uh, as I was sitting in the, uh, in the waiting room, I was, I was in the waiting room for, I guess, maybe about 10 or 15 minutes, and uh, I was just trying to pass the time. And so as I was looking around the room, I started playing a game which was entitled, this is all in my head, by the way, What's Wrong With Everybody in the Room?, and so, um, I don't know if you've ever done that before, but I'm, I'm looking around the room, and I'm like, all right, so she has a cast on her arm, so she's got a broken arm, and then I'm looking, and that person, you know, their eyes are really, okay, something's wrong with them, and then I'm but then I'm looking around the room, and I'm thinking now, I wonder if anyone else is playing this game, and if they are, what do they think's wrong with me? And then I thought, well, Judy, I'm such a fit specimen of man that they would just think, why is he here? He must be in the wrong room. Amen? Yeah, Judy's not going for it. So, um, uh, yeah, here's the thing. So, some, some sicknesses, some illnesses are obvious, aren't they? You, you see someone with a cast or someone on crutches, and, and you immediately know that's the problem. Uh, and yet there are some injuries. In fact, it's called internal medicine and and it's internal. It's, it's not something that's obvious to the untrained eye. And as we continue to work through the gospel of Mark together, uh, what we're going to see this morning is that the reality is that Jesus says there's something wrong with all of us. In fact, every person ever born has had this problem. And every person who ever will be born has the same problem. And, and, and maybe we can cover it up in a way that others don't see it, that others don't recognize it, and yet we are equally sick. And so uh, I want us to look at how Jesus deals with the greatest sickness that anyone ever has. And uh, the Bible refers to this sickness with the word sin. And so I want to invite you to turn to Mark chapter 2, we're going to begin in verse thirteen, the Gospel of Mark chapter two, and we're going to begin in verse thirteen and uh, if someone has it on the uh, the Bible on the table, feel free to to holler out the number. Say again One thousand and three, so page one thousand and three um, and we're going to begin uh, looking at verse thirteen. Now, just to remember the context as we're working verse by verse through mark uh Jesus has has just finished. Uh, healing several people and, uh, and, and teaching the good news about the kingdom of God. And now Jesus is going to begin to travel, and, and this is pretty typical for Jesus. He goes from town to town, village to village, telling people about the good news of the kingdom of God. And then as he shares the message, he does miracles to confirm his message. And so you and I are going to pick up in verse 13 in Mark chapter 2. Let's see what happens. Now, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. And a large crowd came to Jesus, and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Now, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw Jesus eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Now, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's, disciples and, uh, that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? And Jesus answered, How can the guest of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot. So as long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. For no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Now, one Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, look, But why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for the priest to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord Even of the Sabbath. And another time, Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. And some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. And then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. And Jesus looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Jesus, we thank you that it is true and alive and and now in these next few moments, as we study your word together, uh, Jesus, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would open our minds and give us understanding of your word. Uh, Jesus, we pray that you would soften our hearts, that we might be transformed and changed by your word. And we pray humbly that you would speak to us, your people, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We see in these passages, Jesus Begins to discuss the greatest sickness that anyone ever endures, and and in in the Bible, the the Bible refers to this sickness, and Jesus uses this word, and it's the word sin, and it's a word, especially maybe Christians or in the church, we we use a lot, and and maybe we forget the meaning. So, uh, just as a reminder, uh, the word sin here, uh, our New Testament here in the Gospel of Mark, this was originally written in Greek, and We have the English translation, and and if if you speak more than one language, you know that any time you're trying to translate, particularly, say, German, uh, which is such a specific uh, language with big words into English, sometimes you you lose a bit of meaning, and that happens with us here. And so uh, the word sin is harmatio, and it literally means to miss the mark. To miss the mark, it's an archery term. And it's a term they would have been very familiar with. Archery was an extremely popular sport in those days. And so sin was the process of shooting an arrow but missing the bullseye. And therefore, to not share in the prize. In other words, because you miss the bullseye, you don't get a trophy. If it's sports day, you don't get a ribbon. Uh, You've missed the mark. And that's the word sin. It's an archery term. It sounds a bit bizarre, but it's an archery term. It literally means to miss the bullseye. And because you miss the bullseye, you miss out on a prize. Now, it, it doesn't really matter how close you get. If, if you miss the bullseye, you miss the bullseye, right? And so if, if you miss it uh, by a millimeter or if you miss it by a meter, uh, either way you lose. If that's the standard. The standard is the bullseye. And you say, now, how do we then take this archery term... And how does that apply in the Bible with this idea of sin? Well, here's what the Bible is conveying when it talks about uh, missing the mark. And it's talking about what is the bullseye? What is the standard? And what we see in Scripture is that the bullseye, the standard, is perfection, is absolute perfection. That's the bullseye. The bullseye to make it into heaven is perfection. Let me say that again the 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 bull'seye for making it into heaven is perfection. It's never thinking something I shouldn't have thought, saying something I shouldn't have said, doing something I shouldn't have done and And so when we miss the mark, we miss out on heaven because the standard is perfection uh, l- Let me give you an example, and i' I'm, I'm, I'm not going to embarrass you um, well i might I might embarrass you once. Um, if you've ever told a lie ever. I mean, as far back as you can remember till today, if you've ever told a lie, raise your hand. Okay. All right. Thank you. If uh, you're not raising your hand, we assume you are what? Lying. Amen. (laughs) Welcome to your first lie. Right. Um, All of us have lied. Right. All of us have lied. Well, the Ten Commandments says, do not bear false witness. It says, do not lie. So, We've broken one of the ten. Everyone in here, we, we've broken at least one. Uh, the, the, the Bible says, Jesus said, "If if you lust for a woman in your heart, you've committed adultery." Now, don't raise your hand, but if you've ever lusted for someone in your heart, you've broke the seventh command, right? Uh, have you Have you been just really, really output and angry with someone before? I mean, really angry. Jesus said, you have heard it said, do not commit murder. But I say, if you're angry in your heart with your brother, you've committed murder already. That's the sixth commandment, I believe, right? And and, and so, um, uh, if you've ever taken God's name in vain, have you ever used the name of God or Jesus in a way that wasn't uh, intended for worship? The Bible calls that blasphemy. Now, I'm just going to use myself for example. I have broken every one of those commandments, every one I just asked you. And so if I stand before God in judgment on the day I die, I am a lying, thieving, blasphemous adulterer at heart. That doesn't look good on my CV, does it? Let me say that again. If I stand before God today by my own admission, by my own admission, I would stand before God as a lying, thieving, blaspheming, adulterer at heart. I have missed the mark, haven't I? I've missed the mark. Uh, you say, "Well, well, what if I only break one commandment?" It's very interesting. In the book of James, James says this. He said, "If you've broken the law in one place, you've broken the entire law." Uh, if 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 I drop this glass and it shatters, how much of it is broken? All of it, right? All of it. And and so um, that is the standard. And we see that all of us have have missed the mark. And and, and don't feel bad because you're in good company. It's called humanity. The Bible says, none are righteous, no, not one. From Billy Graham to the Pope and everyone in between, all of us have broken God's law in one way or the other. We've all done it. And, And so the Bible says, none are righteous, no, not one that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us have broken God's rules at one point or another. So uh, how does Jesus then uh, respond to this? Well, um, we're going to see this word sinner. Um, And and it's it's obviously from the same word, uh, sin. It's it's a wee bit different here, uh, hamartalos. And it means this. Uh, It has two separate meanings. It can either mean, Someone devoted to sin and wickedness or someone not free from sin or wickedness. Two different meanings. Take a look again. This can be someone who is devoted to sin or to wickedness or someone who is not free from sin or wickedness. So uh, in the first case, it would be, let's take your just run-of-the-mill standard bank robber, right? Right? Um, uh, just someone who they are passionate about robbing banks. They love it. They enjoy it. It's what they do. By the way, if that's your friend, you need new friends. Amen. Um, but they're just passionate about robbing banks. Like they feel no conviction about it. They don't feel bad about it. That is someone who is devoted to sin and wickedness. Now, that, that's a silly example, but let me give you a real example. Right now, it's estimated there are probably around 30,000 women who are being sex trafficked right now in the UK. And I mean, the number's gotta be more than that. Those are just the ones we know about. And in almost every instance, I saw a documentary about sex trafficking in the UK recently, and and they were interviewing uh, a group of girls and asking how did it start with them? And every one of them had the same story. Their boyfriend came to the UK with a plan. The plan was to sell his girlfriend into prostitution. So the boyfriend came to the U.K. first, stayed here for about six months, keeps in contact with his girlfriend back in the home country, and finally he calls her up and says, I love you, I miss you, I just can't go another day without you. Would you come and move to the U.K.? She says yes, she gets here. The first thing he does is says, "Ma, please have your passport so I can keep it safe? He confiscates her passport. Now she's stuck, she can't leave, and within a matter of weeks, she is now enslaved in sex traffic. I would say that is a man who is devoted to sin and wickedness. That is a man who is devoted to sin and wickedness. But then there's a second category, and it's someone who is not free from sin or wickedness. This is different. This is the acknowledgement that there's, there's something in my life that I'm struggling with, and I just can't seem... To beat it. I, I just can't seem to have victory over it. The Apostle Paul, that's his story. He, he's in the second category. He was in the first category, right? He was persecuting and killing Christians. And then Jesus saved him. And he moved from number one sinner to number two. And he says this in Romans chapter 7. Paul says this. He says, I, I, I read the Ten Commandments and I know what I should not do. And yet that's the very thing I keep doing. And And, and I know what I should do. And it seems for the life of me, that's the thing I can't do. Have you ever been there? Man, I have every day. Like, ah, oh, Lord, I know I shouldn't think that, but why do I keep thinking it? Lord, I know I shouldn't lose my temper. Why does that keep happening? Uh, Lord, I, I know I should be more generous. Why, why am I so stingy? Right? And again, uh, we're all there. And that's the word sinner. And and now let's see how Jesus deals with Every one of us who is either committed to wickedness or trapped in it. We're going to see three very simple things. And here they are. Number one, we see this, that as a sinner, Jesus invites me to follow him. That as a sinner, Jesus invites me to follow him. Remember, all of us have broken the law. All of us are sinners. Uh, Listen carefully. It doesn't make us bad people. It makes us people, right? Makes us people. And and here's the beautiful truth. As as a sinner, Jesus invites me to follow him. And so we see this happen in chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Look here. It says, As Jesus walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Now that that to you and I, uh, two thousand years later in, in the UK, that that might seem a bit insignificant, but it was massive. To to for Jesus, a rabbi, a well known teacher, right, who has this amazing following of people, for Jesus to stop by a tax collector's booth and invite the tax collector into his company, into his entourage, into his life was absolutely staggering. So what we have to remember is at this time, the nation of Israel was occupied by the Romans. It was a military occupation. Uh, They had been invaded by the Romans, and they were now living uh, under uh, military domination. And and in that day, the Roman government needed to raise taxes to support uh, its conquering of really the entire world at that point. And so one of the ways they did that was through taxes. Uh, And it's it's really interesting the way taxes worked. Um, uh, Individuals would have a tax booth, and you would go to the tax booth, and that's where you would pay your taxes. And it's similar to what we have today. You would pay property taxes, income taxes, all of these different ways to tax the people. And what a Jewish person could do is a Jewish person could get a franchise for a tax booth. It sounds bizarre. So think of McDonald's. McDonald's, you can buy a franchise. That means you decide you want to open up a McDonald's in Erdington. You can give McDonald's probably a ridiculous sum of money, and, uh, and you can buy a franchise. They own it, but you run it. All right, are you with me? They could do that with tax-collecting booths. So imagine it this way. Imagine if there's a tax-collecting booth in Sutton Coalfield, and there's a tax collecting booth in Castlevale, but there's not one in between. And so uh, someone gets the idea, I'm going to open up a tax collecting booth in Erdington. Now, why would they do that? They would do that because it was an opportunity to make money, because here's what a tax collector would do. If the Roman tax was 3%, the tax collector would charge 5%, and guess who got the extra 2%? Starts with tax, ends in collector. The tax collector. So the tax, co- it's basically a pyramid scheme. I mean, it's just a means of getting wealthy off of the backs of your fellow countrymen. And so the Jews absolutely despised a tax collector. Why? Because a tax collector was someone who was swindling, lying, cheating and stealing from their own people. I guess a modern day example would be if you looked somewhere like France during World War II, you had occupied France under the Nazis and you had those in France who were called collaborators, those who chose to work for and with the Nazis against their fellow Frenchmen. Uh, I don't know if you've ever studied much about that, but uh, after the war ended, they were not treated kindly. They were not treated kindly. That's a tax collector. Someone who has betrayed their own people, right? In fact, this was someone that you would not only despise, but you would say that hell was probably too good for them. Now, Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed son of God, walks by, looks at a man by the name of Levi, who everyone despises, and he says what? Come follow me. We see it with Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Zacchaeus climbed up a sycamore tree, right? It says he was a wee little man. And he was kind of grumpy and stole from everybody. I've said many times that if they ever made a movie out of Zacchaeus, I think they should have Danny DeVito play Zacchaeus, amen? <laughs> like, he is just made for that role, right? And, and that's, that's what happened with Zacchaeus. Because if you remember, when Zacchaeus gives his life to Jesus, what does he do? He says, I'm going to give everything back and I'm going to give more, four five times more than I took, right? And so we have Zacchaeus, we have Levi, we have Jesus going to the people that everyone despised and saying, I love you, come follow me. Isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? You have Jesus, the son of God, looking at the lowest of the low, the worst of the worst and saying, come follow me, come follow me. And guess what Levi does? Look what it says. Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him instantly. Just like that. Uh, As a sinner, Jesus invites me to follow him. Secondly, we see this, that as a sinner, Jesus invites me to fellowship with him. That as a sinner, Jesus invites me to fellowship with him. Look what it says here in verses uh, 15 uh, through 17. It says, While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And don't miss this. While Jesus was having dinner at whose house? Levi's house. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Isn't that lovely? Again, it it follows the same pattern as Zacchaeus. It follows the same pattern. Do you remember Zacchaeus? is in the sycamore tree, Jesus comes by, he looks up to Zacchaeus, and do you remember what he says? He says, Zacchaeus, come down, I'm having dinner at your house today. Uh, Why is this? Why is there this significance of having a meal together? Why is it the first thing Jesus wants to do is to eat a meal with these folks? Well, there's a good reason. Again, some of it is, is maybe lost on our culture, lost on our context. I will say, earlier, when we were sharing your, your best meal or your worst meal experience, there was loads of laughter and conversation. Did you notice that? <coughs> in fact, Dan had to kind of get us back together, right? There's something about food that, that just brings joy to the human heart, even talking about it, right? And, and so, in their culture, to have a meal together, the food was actually secondary, uh, the, the physical nourishment was secondary to the purpose of the meal. Uh, the menu, in fact, was pretty insignificant. The main event at the meal was not the food, but the company. Let me say that again. The main event at the meal was not the menu, but the company. Uh, it, it was all about being together. And when you had a meal, it was a public declaration of these are people in my life who I love and care about. In fact, often when they had mills, the word used is oikos, the name of our church here, oikos. It means a family. It means a gathering. And when you gathered as a mill, it was a public proclamation. They did something else that was quite odd, um, but it used to be done in England. And that is oftentimes mills would be watched by the public. Meals would be watched by the public. And so uh, if the the host was somewhat prominent and wealthy, uh, their dining rooms were open and people would actually come and stand from the public and watch people eat. Now, we actually had something a bit similar here in the Middle Ages. Uh, If if you've ever been like to um, the palace where Henry VIII, what's the name of that? We were just there the other day. Hampton Court. If you've ever been to Hampton Court, they explain some of that and people would come and watch Henry the 8th eat and they would just sit there and it was a spectator event and and the whole eating was a lot of pomp and circumstance and and you know there were peacocks and and you no know, they ate peacocks and all these things and it was and and i just it seems a bit cruel like i don't think i would go and watch that cuz you know you're sitting there thinking what i want, i need some i'd take some peacock i'm pretty hungry right like I don't think that's something I would go watch, but it was very common. In the Bible, they would do that as well. And and most scholars agree that's probably what's happening here and with Zacchaeus. Jesus, don't miss this, he is publicly identifying that these people around this table, these are my friends and family. Jesus is publicly declaring that the men and women around this table, they are my family. Well, in the meals of Jesus throughout the New Testament, he's eating with prostitutes. He's eating with tax collectors. He's eating with thieves. And Jesus eats the meal to say, these are people I love and care for. Isn't that good news? And I have fellowship with them. So as a sinner, Jesus invites me to follow him. As a sinner, Jesus invites me to fellowship with him, to be part of his family. But then lastly, uh, we see this. That as a sinner, excuse me, Jesus invites me to place my faith in him. As a sinner, Jesus invites me to place my faith in him. Jesus now goes, and we see uh, he just goes from one location to another, to uh, a wheat field, and then to a synagogue. And there in the synagogue, there's a man with a withered hand. We don't know Exactly what was wrong, but there's something wrong with his hand. He has a visible ailment, right? And the big question is, is Jesus going to heal him or not? Because on the Sabbath, on their day of worship, their rule was you were not allowed to heal people. And Jesus, like you and I, is thinking, what a dumb rule, right? Jesus says, in fact, were the rules made for us or are we, we made for the rules, right? Uh, just a little footnote, by the way, Jesus is not into rule-keeping. Some people who maybe have never read the Bible, you might think that God's just up in heaven as this big killjoy and he enjoys zapping people and doesn't want anyone to have any fun. It's quite the opposite. In fact, in the very beginning when God made everything, there was just one rule, and that was don't eat the fruit of that tree. Everything else, go go have fun, right? There's just one rule. And, and so Jesus is like, this rule's dumb. Like, what do you mean? This this guy, his hand is obviously not working, you're telling me I can't heal him because of the day on the calendar? And so Jesus says, no, I'm, I'm going to heal him. And, and, and obviously the man exercises faith, and what happens? He is healed. He's restored. And, and so uh, Jesus looked around at them in anger. <coughs> Isn't that funny? Anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored restored uh, Jesus uh, calls us to place our faith in him this man places faith in Jesus and he is healed as a sinner Jesus calls me to follow him how amazing is that uh, and, and by the way isn't it great that Jesus didn't look at Levi and say alright here's the deal follow me but first you have to clean your life up you Gotta get your act together You got to repay the money. You got to do some good works. You got to do some, prove yourself. And and then once you prove yourself, come follow me. Is that what Jesus said? No, Jesus said, right in the middle of your messy, mucky, sinful life, come follow me. Jesus says, in fact, I want everyone to know that you are someone I love and care for. Let's have a meal together. And now Jesus says, place your faith in me, and your life will be changed forever. It is pretty clear that Matthew's life was changed. Levi is also known as Matthew. Was his life changed forever? Yeah, the first gospel in our Bible is the gospel of Matthew. I would say his life was changed forever. Was Zacchaeus' life changed? Obviously, he even tells Jesus, this is how I'm going to restore uh, what I took from others unjustly. His life was changed forever. And the invitation still stands for you and I today. And that is that we would place our trust and faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, one, one final thing and we're done. And it's this. You might be thinking, but here's the deal. I'm not, a cat, I'm not a tax collector and I'm not a murderer and I'm not a thief. and In fact, I'm a pretty good person. And, and when I look around, I'm actually much better than most of the people I see around me. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good person. And so I want us just to quickly see um, what it would mean to be a good person. All right? So i looked look this up. Uh, right now, the average UK life expectancy is 81 years, all right? It's uh, 82 for women and 80 for men. So we split the difference and said 81, okay? So the average life expectancy is 81 years. Let's say that you were not aware of right and wrong really until, we're going to be generous and say the age of 12, right? Your kid knows it long before then, amen, um, but we're going to be generous and say, not till the age of 12, because the Jewish people, you're not an adult till you're 12. So the age of 12 is when you're going to become aware of your sinfulness. So that means from 12 to 81, that's 69 years. 69 years. Everybody still with me? All right. Let's say that you sinned just one time a day, just once a day. Now, I don't know your life. But I'm usually, a couple of times before breakfast, I've, I've sinned a couple of times, right? I've lost my temper, or I've been frustrated, or I've ignored God, right? But let's just say one time a day, you thought something you shouldn't think, said something you shouldn't say, did something you shouldn't do, neglected to say something or do something that you should, just one time a day, and you die at the age of 81, and you are a good person. I think we'd all probably say you're a good person, like one sin a day, that's pretty spectacular. And you had to stand before a holy God, and he wants to know, did you hit the bullseye of perfection? When you stood before God, you would have 25,185 sins. 25,185 sins. I think our argument for being good would probably go on deaf ear. But here's the good news. Uh, there's bad news and there's good news. Here's the bad news. The Bible says this in Hebrews. Each person is destined to die once and after that face judgment. It's guaranteed. It's Guaranteed. Death is a guarantee, right? And the Bible says that after death comes judgment. Every single one of us will stand before a holy God. And no one will be beside us but us. And if I only sinned one time a day and I make it to 81, I have over 25,000 sins I need to give an account for. And I'll be without excuse. And good on him, there's no way a holy God could let me into heaven. Because the standard is perfection. The only person who makes it in is the person with zero sin. But here's the good news. It's the second part of the verse in Hebrews. And it says this, So also Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. Isn't that beautiful? It's guaranteed that I will die and stand before Jesus. But it's also guaranteed that Christ was offered once for all as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. Have you ever had a parking ticket? Maybe a speeding ticket? I have. Have you ever had someone pay it on your behalf? I haven't. In fact, that's a bit bizarre. Why would someone else pay my ticket, right? I'm the one who committed the felony. I committed the crime. I would expect someone else to pay my penalty. And yet, the gospel says, the Bible says, that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet enjoying wickedness, are held in slavery to wickedness. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. The Bible says this, that he is speaking of Jesus, that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. That he who knew no sin. The Bible says in Hebrews, Jesus was tempted in every way as a man, yet without sin. He was tempted to lie. He was tempted to lust. He was tempted to neglect. He was tempted to blaspheme. But at every temptation, he refused. And Jesus is the only one who stands at heaven's gates with zero sin. He is the only one who ever hit the bullseye. And the Bible says that he who knew no sin, he became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. An exchange has taken place. I committed the crime, but Jesus paid the fine. And by dying on the cross, Jesus paid the fine that I could not pay. Uh, We sing the old song, what can wipe away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus died for you and Jesus died for me so that we wouldn't have to pay the debt of 25,000 sins. And so the Bible says that if we'll confess our sins, and, and profess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And so uh, I want us to conclude with just this question. I want you to really hear it and answer it to yourself. Don't answer out loud, but, but answer this. If you died today and stood before God, and God said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would your answer be? In the UK, 7,000 people will die today. Today. Some of them anticipate it. Some of them have no idea it's coming. But 7,000 people today in the UK will stand before God. If that was you, and God said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would your answer be? I think we would all agree the answer would not be that any of us are good enough. We have a dilemma. We committed the crime. We should pay the fine. But praise be to God. He sent his only son to die in our place. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And so I would wonder, would you consider praying? This is a very simple prayer. It's not magic. They're just words on the screen. It's a simple prayer that Billy Graham used to use around the world. And he would invite people to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And it simply says this, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe, Jesus, that you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and I invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Maybe today you realize that that's a prayer you need to pray. Maybe you realize that you need to place your hope and faith in Jesus Christ. Not in your good works. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your holy word. Jesus, thank you that you call sinners to follow you. Thank you, Jesus, that you call sinners to fellowship with you. Thank you, Jesus, that you call us to place our faith in you, Lord. You say in John three seventeen that Jesus, you did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through you. Jesus, you're not here to condemn us. You're not here to pour guilt upon us. Jesus, you came to pay the fine so that heaven might be our home and that you might be our Lord and Savior. And as everyone has our eyes closed and maybe our heads bowed, I just want to ask, and if you, I mean, I mean really, if you stood before God today and your eternal destination was at stake, what would you say? And maybe today you would need to pray this prayer that's on the screen. Or Again, they're not magic words, however you would express it. But maybe you need to call out today and just say, Jesus, yeah, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit I've missed the mark. And I know that that there's nothing good in me and there's no way I'm good enough for heaven. But Jesus, thank you that you died for me. And Jesus, I believe you died and rose again. And I ask for your forgiveness. I say, sorry, Jesus come into my life and change me. And I'm going to close this in prayer in just a minute and if you've maybe done that this morning maybe you've prayed this prayer and and you want to you want to know Jesus Christ you want to uh, stop trusting in 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 your goodness that doesn't exist and you want to place your hope and faith in Jesus then would you pray that today and before you leave Dan is going to be here and um it's really important that you you speak to Dan so he can rejoice with you, but then we can begin to share with you how you can begin to love and follow Jesus, just like Zacchaeus did and just as Levi did. So, Lord Jesus, thank you that you are mighty to save. Thank you that you love us, that you paid the penalty we could never pay. And thank you, Jesus, that heaven is our home and we are children of God, Jesus when we place our faith in you. And so, Lord, I pray that if anyone here this morning has prayed that prayer, that they'll just speak to Dan and, and we can rejoice and celebrate and, and begin to be on a, a wonderful journey of knowing and loving you, Lord. And I pray for us as believers, those of us who are already Christians, and, and Lord, we, we don't quit sinning when we become a Christian. In fact, sometimes the temptation becomes all the more harder. And, and so, Lord, thank you that in Christ there is no condemnation, and thank you, Jesus, if we're a Christian, but maybe we find ourselves trapped in sin or bound up in a sin that we just can't shake loose. Thank you, Jesus, that you still love us, that we are still your child, and there is hope. And so, Christian, I would just ask if you find yourself struggling with something today, does it make you a bad Christian? It just, just makes you a Christian. And We often say that 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 church is not a museum for saints, but a hospital for sinners. It's why we're all here, not because we're perfect, but because we're imperfect. And so, Christian, if you're struggling today, would would, would you just speak to someone and and pray with them and, and just, man, give that to the Lord. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Jesus, thank you that you love us that you care for us. There's nothing we could do to make you stop loving us ever. And there's nothing we can do to make you love us more. And we thank you for your perfect love. And we thank you for the celebration we've had today, the time we've had together. We pray, Jesus, that we would respond as you speak by your Holy Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name.